0: You're listening to a Dwell Community Church production. If you'd like to check out more resources, visit dwellcc.org. We've been going through and we've been talking about James's goal here is to give them a picture, a complete look at what it means to be a mature Christian. That this idea of like, okay, what does it look like to be spiritually mature? Everybody is a brand new believer. Christianity is new. And so how do I live out, how do I practice the teachings of Jesus Christ in everyday life? What does that look like? And he said things like, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. That we need to learn to trust God and that suffering victoriously is is about an attitude, is about how we have God's perspective when difficulties come that we need to treat people impartially, understand that all people are God's children, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for everyone, and that everyone has value in the superficial judgments that we make about one another, whether they're socioeconomic, whether they're race, whether they're uh, intelligence-based or or beauty-based, that is all nothing compared to the value of what God has imbued in each and every one of us. And then last week we talked about the importance of living a life of active faith. That what God wants is not for us to sit around and theorize and have ideas about morality and what it is to be a good person and what it is to be living a good life. He actually wants us to move towards one another in love and service and connection and relationship, living our lives together and letting what we be- believe inform the way that we live. And so tonight, he gets into another really important area. If we want to be mature believers, we have to be careful about how we communicate. The power of the spoken word. And the things that we say to one another have an incredible impact on the course of our lives. Let's look in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. He writes, not, Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able to bridle the body, the whole body as well. If You can master the tongue. You can master any other body part. And that's amazing to say because there's some bad ones. He says, now, if we we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at ships also. Although Although they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder when wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire the very world of iniquity, the tongue, is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird and reptile and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So he's got a very impassioned plea here and a perspective that I think when we read it, we recognize the truth of it from our own lives but we don't necessarily think about it very much. He's saying there's something incredibly important here that will direct the whole sum of your life, your relationships, your course, your relationship with God and all these other things. And yet how often, and how often do we actually think about how important it is that we are restrained in our speech? How in touch with that are we? So going back and just sort of working our way through it, he starts with a word to Bible teachers. And so I had a good time prepping this week, thinking about how this applies, you know, and it doesn't just apply to me as a CT teacher, but it applies to anyone who would share biblical truth. I'm certainly included in that. And probably the more responsibility you have as a teacher, the more true of this would be. But still, he's talking about CT teachers, home church teachers, Bible study leaders and disciples, people who are teaching the Word of God to others. He says, be warned. You are held to a higher standard. If you are going to speak forth and share with others as God's representative, His Word, you have to take what you say in all aspects of your life, very seriously. And I've got to say, I'm very convicted by that personally. Uh, I studied through that this week, and I just thought, you know, this is something that God really wants to speak to me about, too. You know, I I like to joke around. I like to make funny jokes. And there's nothing wrong with having a sense of humor. But um, my example is, and the position that I'm in is all the more important that I take this seriously. And I I felt like, you know, I needed to repent about that, that I needed to agree with God that I need to take this area more seriously in my life. And my prayer is that if you need to also, that that, that will land home in a way that doesn't harm you or hurt your feelings or make you sad, but that convicts your spirit that there's something here where we can do better. And I am one saying, I think God is telling me I need to do better. He's saying Bible teachers are held to a stricter standard for what they say. Because the character and the ability of of someone to represent God has to be consistent, not only when they're up preaching, but in the way that they live their lives. If you want people to listen to you on the things that matter, you have to be careful how you speak and the things that are less important because this is the overall picture of your witness. And this speech is something that includes all aspects of communication. We have a lot more forms of communication today than we did at the time that this was written but I think it would absolutely include anything where you're using words to communicate thoughts. And so that would include the signs that you put in your yard, the bumper stickers you put on your car, what you say on social media, both in your posts and your comments. How are you representing Christ to the world in your social media? in the way that you handle yourself and your online persona with your neighbors with your coworkers and the environment that we live in right now has it ever been more important to be restrained in what we say how much more can we represent the truth of who god is as people are out of control at historic levels, and being jerks to one another. The tongue, he says, is so important to the course and the way that we live our lives and the way that we treat one another. And he gives us six different pictures, six different images, but I think you could almost categorize. He gives us three categories, and there's two images for each category. He says the bit, that's just the piece of metal that you put in a horse's mouth, you attach a rope to two ends, and you can make this giant, powerful animal, way stronger than you are, go wherever you want by making its head point in a certain direction. His point is this little tiny thing sets the course and the direction for this big, giant thing. What an amazing thing it is that something so small can have such an impact on something so large. It's the same thing when he talks about the rudder on a boat, on a ship. You can have a huge ship and a little tiny rudder is everything that's involved in what the course and direction of that ship will be. Something very small impacting something very large. The tongue is a small part of your body, but he says it sets the course for your life. That is a rather remarkable thing. He says fire. The tongue is a fire. Fire, if you live in California, every year you're finding out now how fire is very difficult to control. It has a way of spreading and being unpredictable and having consequences and results that you didn't desire. It's very difficult to bring a wildfire under control. And it causes great calamity and destruction and people's lives. And he says the beast, the animal, he makes this great point, we can tame anything in nature except the tongue. Both of these things are difficult to control and they're destructive. And then he uses the image of the fountain and the fig tree. By the way, you have to put this in context in their culture, a fig was about the most delicious thing that existed. If you've ever had a fig, it's so sweet. You know, and you know, He's saying something so savory and wonderful and, and, and uplifting that these things refresh, they uplift, and they encourage. That is also the tongue. How can this thing be so important in setting the course of our lives and used so destructively and so positively depending on how we wield it. He says your speech is the rudder it's the bridle it's the bit of your life it directs your life and the wisdom literature agrees Proverbs 21:23 he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. That if you're careful and how you communicate with people, it will keep you from evil and destruction that your tongue and your choice of words and the way that you choose to communicate has an awesome impact on your life. Think about that. think about how long it takes to build a relationship of trust with someone. A lot of us have been hurt we 've been burned uh, we 're suspicious we 're very self protective and We need a lot of time and a lot of reassurance to be willing to trust one another. You can spend years building trust with another person and you can destroy all of that trust with one or two words. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an incredible power? The spoken word has this great power to either build or destroy. The way that your tongue sets the course for your life is it will affect the way that you either make friends or lose them. The things that you say, the way that you treat people, the sensitivity that you have toward them, the affection you express, all of those things are through the spoken word. There are people that are bitter and despondent and disconnected from others, and they're mean. And those people die alone. The course of their life is set by the way that they interact and the words that they say to the people around them. Your tongue literally is the rudder for your relationships. And you can be someone who encourages your loved ones and has community and connections. You can be someone that people love and feel like you're so encouraging. It's so good to be around you. Or you can bring people down. And you can destroy your relationships. That's what he means by your speech affects the course of your life. It affects your career, the words that you choose, the way that you uh, conduct yourself, the way that you talk to people, the respect that you show your boss, the helpfulness you show to your coworkers. absolutely probably has one of the greatest impacts on your career, hands down. Same with your love life, same with your kids and your spouse, and the same with your ministry. He's not overstating it at all. The the things that we say affect the course of our lives. And of course, harsh words and gossip can spin out of control and cause destruction that we never even intended. We're often amazed that we say a few things and the vast impact it can have on our relationships with others. Again, Proverbs twelve eighteen says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The way that you conduct yourself, not in just the way that you treat people, but the way that you talk about people. Gossip that hurts a friend. You know, people get attracted to this idea of telling stories that kind of tell about others' misfortunes or the foolish things that others have done, and it becomes a source of entertainment in other people's lives. And it can feel very powerful and very exciting to have captured a room of your friends with a story about someone else's misdeeds. But then that doesn't stop just there. That's throwing an ember into a dry brush field, And the way that that passes on and the way that that affects the relationships with other people and their view of that person can go on and on and on and they can get back to that person and they can ruin your relationship with them. Or if you do it enough, everyone you're around will realize you're also doing it about them. And they won't let you in and won't trust you with the things that are going on in their lives and you will have a shallow Fake relationship, not just with one person, but with everyone, because they realize you're reckless in your speech. There are things that you can say in a relationship, any relationship. There are things that a parent can say to their kids that can never be undone. There are things that a husband can say to a wife or a wife to a husband. You can forgive, but they leave scars. The power of the spoken word and obviously what you say as a Christian, even when you're not talking about Christ, represents what Christ is like. It's hugely powerful. He says speech also has this incredible power to uplift. Proverbs 16, 24 pleasant words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. That the power of the spoken word well placed in someone's life can be life changing. A word of encouragement with the power of God behind it can literally change the course not of your life but of someone else's. I remember as a younger believer, having an opportunity to teach essential teaching like this, well, not like this, but essential teaching, it was the first opportunity I'd ever had. I was subbing for uh, Dennis, and I, I, I gave my teaching. You know, I was so nervous, so scared. You know, <clears throat> the first time I, ho- I ever taught home church, I was terrified first time I ever taught a men's Bible study or women's Bible study, I was terrified. I don't know that I was more terrified at any one of those things. I was equally terrified the first time for all of it. And I got done, and he uh, had actually, even though I was subbing for him, he had secretly, like, come up and sat in the audience. So he had the day off, but he took it to come and see how I would do. And he pulled me aside next, you know, after that, and he said, That was amazing. You need to be a preacher. This is something that you are meant to do. You're gonna need to go to seminary and we're gonna need to get you a lot more reps. There's a lot of work. You can get a lot better, but you have a gifting that is exceptional and this is something you need to do with your life. And that changed my life. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do or what it would look like, but to have those words of encouragement at that moment and to know that they were sincere made me willing. I didn't want to go to seminary. I had an undergrad degree, and I was like, you know, I'm ready to get on with life. School. I'm done with school, and I, they had to pull my teeth to send me to seminary, but That vision of of what he saw was something that I wanted to become. I wanted to be. And it was a spoken word that set that course. There are many times people have spoken a word in a way that it it shaped me, it molded me, it encouraged me, or it even confronted me. And it was a life-changing event. And would be that we would have those, all of us have Those kinds of people in our lives, and that we would become those kinds of people in other people's lives. That is the vision of the mature Christian that James is laying out for us. But it means being restrained in your speech, it means using your words wisely, it means choosing your battles, it means taking And thinking about the larger picture, both in the way that we speak when we're talking about frivolous things. And also in the way that we speak with people in order to encourage them. That we think through and pray through what it is that God would have us say to them. Or if we're confronting them, how can we do that in a way where they will not be defensive but recognize that in love, we're trying to help them grow. The spoken word can literally, he says, heal bones, heal wounds. A lot of us are deeply wounded by traumatic events in our lives. And yet, there is such a thing as the freedom that we can experience by someone Coming alongside and being kind, showing us love, showing us affection, showing us encouragement. You know, one of the movies I really, I really love. Now the title is totally gone. Robin Williams, uh, Ben Affleck, Goodwill Hunting. Thank you. I love Goodwill Hunting. I don't know the name, but I know the movie. Goodwill Hunting has that scene, and it's kind of corny where he's in the counselor uh, with Robin Williams, Matt Damon, Robin Williams. They're sitting in there, and you know Matt Damon has had this horrible childhood of neglect and abuse. He's this brilliant person, but he's destroying his life, and Robin Williams looks at him, and he says, it's not your fault. And he's like, yeah, well, yeah, no, it's not my fault. He's like, no, it's not your fault. And, you know, it's a powerful moment in that movie And it's fun to also make fun of. But it's this powerful moment where he knows exactly what's haunting this kid. Is he thinks that he maybe is a terrible person who deserves the treatment that he's gotten. And he's trying to get through to him with the spoken word. As an authority and as an adult, he's saying to this kid, this stuff that has happened to you, these horrible things, you don't deserve that. And it has this, this healing power in this kid's life where he's maybe willing to believe that he has value. The spoken word expressions of love that can be remembered for a lifetime. Do you remember the way that people have used their words? I was thinking about this, and it's it's also cheesy, but it's it's true. My mom used to sing Edelweiss to me when I was little. And I didn't know anything about the sound of music or what Edelweiss was about. It was just sort of beautiful. But I remember lying in bed and feeling so safe and secure and loved because she was singing Edelweiss. And I remember my wife and I singing it to my daughter and tears would roll down her cheek because she felt safe and secured and loved. And she speaks of it, you know, she's 17, and we don't sing Edelweiss to her anymore. But she speaks of that, of remembering that as a child, and I know exactly what she's talking about because I remember exactly the same thing from my childhood. And these words that were spoken in a way that communicated love and care and concern have stuck with me my entire life. I've been able to pass it on to my daughter, and I'm sure it will stick with her her entire life. It's a simple thing that has an inexplicable power when people verbalize their love and affection for us. This is a powerful truth for our time. The people in our culture, the people in our lives, the people online are desperate. Desperate. Everybody's exhausted. They're so tired of fighting. They're so tired of being divided. They're so tired of every tragedy that seems to come up every day. 2020 sucks. This year is crap. And we all want to be done with it. And what an opportunity to stand up and be kind. To show love and affection and encouragement. Words are in all new ways. Mankind is inventing new ways to destroy each other with words. And we are polarized and we are disgruntled. And we're really scared because it doesn't look like things are headed in the right trajectory and the right direction. It seems like it's intensifying and it's just getting scarier and it's getting more unpredictable and more difficult to know what the next calamity is going to be and how amazing would it be if we as God's children seize the opportunity To show some kindness. Some love. Some concern. Some affection. To a world that is truly losing itself. I don't think this teaching of James. This topic that James. When James sat down and he thought. What do these guys really need to know? He thought. The tongue. If this teaching. Is going to impact their lives, I really want them to think about the importance of how they speak to one another. And this is, I think, for us, one of the most important ways we can stand up for God. And it's simply by choosing our words carefully. It's by speaking. We have to speak. It's not enough to be silent, it's not enough. To say nothing. We have to bring forth the mind and the words of God to encourage people who are being totally self-destructive. I'll close with this. Isaiah 6, 5 through 8, is confronted. He sees a cherubim of the Lord. He's seeing spiritual reality. He's being confronted with the greatness of who God is. And he's seeing the transcendence of the all-powerful creator God of the universe laid before him. And he cries out, woe is me for I am ruined. I now understand how Horrible and messed up and twisted and broken, I am. It's like the veil has been pulled back and he sees true glory and his reaction is, woe is me. Because I am a man of unclean lips. Such a fascinating reaction to see the glory of God. My mouth has been used in filthy ways, is his reaction. And I live among a people of unclean lips. From my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim, which is just an angel, flew to me, he says, with a burning coal in his hands, taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with the burning coal. And said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. He doesn't say, no, 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 you're not that bad. No, no, God has big things for you. He says, yep, that is the proper response for what you have just seen. And your sin is forgiven. And the moment he hears that, then he hears God say, whom shall I send, and who will go for us and speak for us? And he says, here I am, send me. This is what I'm hoping we will recognize as our cultural moment here tonight, is we are people of unclean lips in a culture of unclean lips, and we have not received a burning coal. We've received the cross of Jesus Christ. And our sins have been forgiven, not because we deserve it, not because we're good, and not because we've done anything to earn it. But Jesus went and died for us on the cross. And if we recognize that and we cry out, Woe is me, I am someone who needs forgiveness. That is all that is required for God to move into our lives and say, will you be my spokesman? That, and saying, here I am, send me. And there has never been a time, there has never been a moment where this was needed more And it could have a greater impact if we have the courage to be willing to stand up for love. That's what I got from James 3. All right. God, uh, we are a people of unclean lips living among a culture of unclean lips Thank you for coming and dying for us on the cross. Thank you for what we have here tonight in this room. We pray for the friends that we have that don't know you, that are afraid, that are angry, that are feeling helpless and hopeless and lost. We pray that we would see some of them here next week. We pray that we could be a source of encouragement and strength and love to our friends who don't know you and for each other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. This has been a Dwell Community Church production.